Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. What is going on, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host on today's episode. I am sitting down with one of the co-founders of Drift, Dave Rupp. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. So for the listener that's never heard of Drift before, how would you best describe it to them? Uh, Drift is a product company that helps people get outside and enjoy the outdoors. Okay. So what exactly uh, is the product that you guys offer? Um, Our primary product is what we call the Drift Boards. They're uh, an ascension tool for backcountry snowboarders primarily. We kind of combine the best of snowshoes and touring skis and um, cross-country skis, really, to help snowboarders get into the backcountry without having to use a splitboard. Uh, so why? Why, do you, why did you come up with the idea of trying to avoid using a splitboard? Well, the idea came about about 2012, and a friend and I, Nick Hansen, were, were trying to use our quiver boards basically into the backcountry. You know, we wanted to use swallowtails. We didn't want to be limited by the performance of um, traditional split boards. We wanted faster change over times. We didn't want to have to monkey with gear a bunch. And um, at the time, there was a couple different uh, solutions out there. Mountain approach was one. Verts was another. Um, but we felt like there was still some improvement that could be had. And, and even today, I still think that there's improvement to be had on all these fronts with snow and changing conditions. There's always important improvements. But, uh, yeah, we wanted to we wanted to make it so that we could ride our quiver boards. I guess you bring up a really good point in the fact that, like, obviously having um, a non-split board is better for the backcountry. It just performs better. You don't have to deal with the limitations like you're saying. Um, so I assume when you first didn't want to do it, you started out on snowshoes, right? And you were like, all right, I want to carry my, my regular board into the back country. And then over time you sort of just thought about like, huh, maybe what if, uh, we develop sort of a shorter ski that you can then pack to then take snowboarding. Exactly. I mean, it was really a long time. I mean, we, we didn't just one day have this idea. It was kind of like we had this problem that we were constantly trying to solve and, you know, like you say, we took out snowshoes one day and, you know, they they work, but they have some drawbacks. And, you know, I was actually out cross-country skiing with my family one time and I was like, wow, the way this thing pivots and the way you can slide, you're way more efficient than the snowshoes are. 
is there a way to combine this? And a um, couple of those things like eventually morphed into the drift boards. You know, we took the touring skin from your traditional split board and was like, there's nothing better out there to get traction than this particular device. And, and threw that on like a short and compact way that we could carry the drift boards on our pack when we're snowboarding down. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where the idea came from, but it definitely was not like a, it, it took a lot of different experiences out in the backcountry to kind of put all these pieces together. That's really interesting. So, uh, in developing this, uh, so the length you, d- you, you decided on is 89 centimeters, correct? Uh, huh. so, um, have you noticed there any being any issues if say you know like someone's like two twenty and like six three six four you know trying to tour into the backcountry is it still long enough to support you know them and give them enough traction um you know to get up the hill you know it's kind of fun because like when we initially thought about okay like we have this idea to combine all these things, let's try it you know my friend Nick he cut out out of like some rogue plastic you know snowshoe size and stuck his skins on it It was super super heavy and clanky and it worked pretty well but the biggest concern in our mind was exactly that like well this is a great idea but is it going to float us you know is it going to give us the the surface area that we need and then like as as the design continued to refine the next you know prototype we took from a we just ripped it out of a snowboard and it was still heavy and and there were some issues with that but we started to to realize what would work and what wouldn't from a, a surface area. And it was kind of funny because what we netted on was I have a cross country ski and it's the same length or same surface area as my cross country ski. So we did have to go a little bit wider. Um, and then as long as basically we could, we'd love to, to go to a smaller version for some of the people that actually don't need such a big one is kind of where we're at right now. We feel like the surface area is great for, for everyone. Um, but we could actually do a smaller one for some of the lighter individuals, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. That was actually going to be my next question. Um, now in terms of, um, like obviously you can tour up the mountain in your snowboard boots or in hiking boots. Um, what is it like in terms of like transferring it into your pack and then snowboarding down? Like, does it attach the back? Um, like, how does that work? You know, I mean, it's kind of up to the individuals. It's funny because we don't really have like a, a pack that it's designed for to go on. Basically, put them into your snowboard straps, however you, however you feel comfortable. Um, you know, some people do them back to back and some people do them. It, you know, there's no real method to it, but it's no different than strapping a ski pole to your pack. If you're used to, you know, having ski poles that you've climbed toward up with, you know, it's just, they just go on. And, um, for the most part, you know, some of our bigger complaints have been, oh man, I wish I could throw them in our pack because I want to take pictures and not have these things out there. And we wish that we could go smaller and do some of those things, but at the same time, it's like, we're just trying to make a product that can get people up the hill. And this is kind of where we net it out. It's what it needs to be um, from a size perspective. And it's also interesting too, because I think 10 years ago, we couldn't do what we're doing. If you look at the progression of skis and how much wider they've gotten, it allows us to go wider on the drift boards and fit in a skin track. 
So if you take away some of that surface area, it, it absolutely doesn't perform like it needs to. And so the timing's been right for us to, to put this product into the market. What are the materials in the actual driftboard? Is it, is it very similar to a pair of skis or it's a sandwich construction with a core and um, some structural um, pieces like, car, like um, uh, fiberglass and others to give it some extra strength? You know, very similar to skis and construction. The difference being that we don't have to play by the rules of skis because we're just trying to get up the hill. So when we have our carbon fiber decks, they are way stiffer than any ski you would ever want to ski on. And so we actually put a lot more carbon fiber into the, the product to, to make it stiff and just to basically spread out your surface area, um, spread out the weight across that surface area. Uh, I think that if you added more flex to it, you would lose some of that flotation. We really want to push the holding power of the ski all the way out to the tip and tails to keep you up on the snow. And I think that that's one of the things that really helps us float in the, in the terrain. The other thing that we, we don't do is we don't put metal edges into our product. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And, uh, you know, it could be argued that a metal edge would be nice if you're crunching through rocks and stuff. Um, we still have a very strong edge, but by removing that metal, we can go lighter. You know, we don't have a base material. There's no reason for that where we just have a semi-permanent skin um, really kind of slim down the ski. So in a sense, yes, we've done a lot of what is traditional skis, but at the, at the same time, we've tried to focus that design to the ascension and what we were trying to do. And that was basically travel in the snow. That's really smart. Now, do you have a background in sort of manufacturing, designing and developing products or you just kind of just figure it out as you went? Uh, well, I used to, I, I, it's kind of twofold because I, I do have a, I have an engineering degree. Um, I used to work for a bicycle component company doing carbon fiber and composites. If you're familiar with that, really love working on bike stuff still to this day, you know, we'll, we, we will do, we do some bike parts now. Um, but growing up, I also, I think that the question in to be able to really design this product, I grew up snowboarding. I rode for a couple of shops locally in my hometown. I mean, it didn't equivalent to much more than a discount and maybe a free hat or something, but, uh, did, a little bit of grassroots riding, even some uh, road for transition bikes. So I had a really kind of sound understanding of the outdoor community and the outdoor world. And then knowing like, as I got older that I wouldn't be able to do it professionally, ride professionally, I chose to do engineering where I could still be involved in the design and be involved in the industry. Really. That's interesting. Now, um, obviously you spend some time developing and fine tuning, um, the drift boards, you launched the Kickstarter in 2017, raising almost $40,000, clearly proving that snowboarders want this product, right? Um, what has the growth been like since then? How have you really gotten the word out there? And we kind of chosen a, a slower road. We don't put a lot of money into marketing. And even with the Kickstarter of the four weeks that we were running, we quit marketing for 
a full week of those four weeks. And the reason for that was we just wanted to make sure that we delivered and we want to make sure that we deliver a good product. We're super grateful for our Kickstarter um, crew who, who helped us, you know, since Kickstarter, we've come out with kind of a 2.0 of the drift boards and made a lot of improvements. Um, but what ends up happening, I think we sold a hundred roughly in the Kickstarter and then delivered. So that was in September delivered in January and from January through March sold another 50 units without really any marketing spend outside of giving away some product to some key influencers. And that's kind of been our, our business model. And now, so this is the first winter that we're really jumping into, um, trying to push the marketing a little bit more. You know, we've, uh, hired some consulting help to help us get the word out there. Um, but we, we feel like we've done good considering where we started and, um, we're really taking this grassroots approach. No, it, it sounds like uh, it, it's mostly been through word of mouth marketing and clearly a product that snowboarders are finding value in. What kind of feedback have you been getting from um, the people buying the drift boards? You know, it's interesting because to me, the best feedback is no feedback at all, especially when we're making a tool. Um, and that's kind of how I look at the drift board. If it's working right, we're really not like at the front of the line of what people are are talking about and 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 giving us feedback per se. But I do know this that everybody ends up being overly surprised at how well it ascends. There's so little weight on your feet that it it just climbs up the mountain really really well and uh, it serves its purpose. And so you know we we get to me the the icing on the cake is when I'm like perusing Instagram and I can see the drift boards in pictures and they're not even tagged, but they're, you know, big grins on people's faces as they're snowboarding down. And we've even had that happen with, you know, a few professional athletes and things. So that's, that's to me, the, the best. Have you noticed, um, people using it outside of just snowboarding? Like, do you see many skiers using it? Obviously snowshoers, it probably makes a lot of sense for them, right? Yeah, totally. And we're not, we don't discriminate anyone who wants to use the product can. It's interesting because most of our users are snowboarders. I think it's highly priced for a snowshoe. You know, if you think about 420 bucks, that's pretty pricey for someone who can go to Costco and get a snowshoe. So we don't see as many people using that as snowboarders. The other thing that's interesting is sometimes we have people that, that do want to use it as a ski and, and it's really probably not suited for anything more than what you would do on a cross country ski. And for that, it's very good. You know, you can glide and, and travel through the terrain, but you don't want to come down on these where there's no metal edges, there's no side cut, you know, there's, there's just a a performance problem there with the lifting of the hill and the softer binding, um, from a ski, of course. Right, right. But perspective. Do, you, do you see many skiers using that as the way to get up and keeping the skis on their back and then skiing down their regular, you know, alpine setup? You know, there are a few. There was one one skier that worked for us that loved them because he could just go so fast uphill. Um, we haven't pushed that at all, and so there's a there's a there's a few people that are using you know traditional downhill skiers are using them, but you know, their system is pretty convenient as is. 
So especially if they're using a really light touring setup, that's very true. I think I think that that could change as people look and desire for you know like more of a park a free ridey setup in the backcountry. You know they want those rigid bindings. They don't want to have the the tech bindings and. I think it's definitely an option that people will look into, but I think it's a harder sell. You know, it, it definitely would require more education. No, I totally agree. I feel like a lot of people in skiing, or at least the people I know, like a super light setup. <laughs> Any extra weight, they just freak out about. <laughs> it is interesting, though, too, because we have the permanent climbing skin. The You can actually go pretty lightweight on that on the adhesive there versus like your normal, um, touring skin. So like the, the skins are lighter, everything's a little bit more convenient. I mean, I've been out on those days where you're just trying to get your climbing skins to work and it's frustrating. And from a convenience standpoint, I think there's a lot of merit in what the drift boards are doing. That's a really good point. I've had many days where I just freak or just get really pissed off at my climbing at my skins, not working the way they might want them to. Um, or my bindings for that matter, whether I get snow lodged in them or just a number of different issues. Like I had a pair of Dukes. Those were the first boring bindings I had. And I used to get snow stuck in them all the time where I, w- I couldn't get them to uh, re-engage with the ski. You know, mm-hmm. and I hiked up a, a mountain, you know, a couple thousand vertical feet. I'm tired and I'm trying to get the damn thing in. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like annoyed <laughs> to say the least. No, and that i mean part of that's just backcountry skiing in general but uh, there's there's definitely some convenience to what we're what we're doing and then there's on the flip side you know like anything well you got to carry them on your back on the way down but on any good powder day you just forget about what's on your back it's over after that you know and you're coming down that's very true so what's been the hardest part about getting drift off the ground um there's lots of hard parts. Getting the design right is been difficult. I think that there was days that that the uncertainty of starting a business is just extremely heavy. You know, you've got a lot of balls in the air. And that's probably, in my opinion, the the hardest part of this whole thing. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made up until this point? Um, man, one of the one of the biggest mistakes we were headed into the Kickstarter and we had all of everything lined up, and we had the Kickstarter party ready to go. And between me and Brooke and and Nick, we hadn't truly correlated what was going on with kickstarter itself and we the day before we were supposed to launch and we had all these kind of parties lined up and things we found out that we weren't approved by kickstarter and it takes five days to do that and so we were seriously worried about that and uh luckily brooke was able to call in some favors for some people she knew we're like linking in with people that we know at Kickstarter to try and figure out if we can get approved in a day instead of five days and pretty stressful. So pretty big organizational mistake that we made on our end, but, but you pulled it off, but we did, we pulled it off. (laughs) 
I would not recommend having to deal with that again, though. It was kind of like, oh, great. We put all this effort into all these things and it's just it's not we're not even going to launch. So trip at the finish line almost, you know. It's kind of funny but, how that works, right? It's just like mm-hmm. well, you're like, oh shit, one little oversight and the whole thing could come down. <laughs> exactly. And that's what that's what we were up against. You know, is other than that, I mean the Kickstarter went pretty flawlessly and we were able to deliver on time and uh which I think is unheard of, you know. So we we're excited about that. Yeah, I feel like most of the people I talk to about Kickstarter, like, yeah, things went great in terms of hitting our goals, but delivery, <laughs> totally underestimated how long that would take. Right. It was interesting because of our, because of my background in engineering and, and some of the production things I'd worked on, we, we were pretty comfortable before we hit go with what we could deliver and how we were going to accomplish it. We had it down to a science on how much we needed. So from a, funding standpoint to make sure it'd be worth it. So that stuff all was pretty flawless. So that was the good side of it. And and you manufactured, um, in Salt Lake where you guys are based out of, correct? Correct. We make all the skis here locally and it really allows us to keep a thumb on what's going out the door. And if we need to pivot and, and tweak on things, we can do that. They're all handmade you know, we don't have a signature, but we probably should. There's, I have a couple of employees that, you know, are, are dedicated to, to making good handmade skis. So it's kind of fun. Must've been fun sort of like fine tuning that process so that you can hit those scale numbers, right. As you guys grow. Yeah. I don't know if fun is the term I would use. <laughs> it's type if three fun, right? Is, is yeah. Yeah. So anytime it's manufacturing, it's a headache. But uh, hopefully we can manage it some somewhat. That's funny. So what, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor space or really just a business in general? Um, just be patient and uh, keep working hard. You know, I think that there's a lot of success that comes just from keep trying. You know, I always tell people to as fast as you can. And by that, I mean, you know, get your ideas out in front of people and get it picked apart, you know, find, find the weak spots and, um, take feedback from everyone, even though you don't need to apply that feedback, you still need to take it in and, and digest it. That's great advice. Where do you see drift in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? If you thought about it? Um, growing for sure, making a bunch of fun products, you know, that help people get out and enjoy the beautiful world around them. Do you see yourself expanding outside of the drift boards or trying to really progress that? Um, we will continue with the drift boards and also try and expand beyond it. Um, a lot of our design is driven by where we see needs in the marketplace. And, you know, if, if people were to ask if we were to go do a snowboard, for example, we may, but probably more likely we would find some place where there's something missing in a product and try and patch that hole up, you know, and, and help people really get out easier and play better. Definitely a smart way to look at um, new products down the line. What's the best part about running Drift? 
Uh, working with my wife has been awesome. I know that not everybody could say that. Um, and then secondly is just making products that I want to use. That's the, the funnest part about running, running this business is being able to be like, I want this product, so I'm going to make it. And if someone else wants it, that's great. And if they don't, that's okay too. But it's kind of fun to have a business where we can make products that help serve my needs selfishly. <laughs> I totally get that. I feel like that's why most people get into the outdoor space, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. At least there's a little bit of selfishness there <laughs> in terms of being yeah. outside more often. Um, now, for the listener who's uh, listening to this episode before Christmas Day, or I guess up until Christmas Day at midnight, you can actually enter to win a pair of drift boards along with a ton of other ski and snowboard gear on readyeddy.com. So you just head to readyeddy.com for your chance to win. Um, and with that, Dave, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast, share your story, everything that you guys have going on, uh, over at drift and, uh, seeing where you guys go in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready 80 Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.